the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm looking at the World Economic Forum from Davos. Joe Brennan is there for the Irish Times and he'll join me shortly. In the second part of the programme, Derek Skelly, Berlin correspondent of the Irish Times, will explain why the Data Protection Commission in Dublin has run into issues with its counterparts in other parts of Europe in relation to a case involving Meta dating back to 2018. But first to Davos. Joe Brennan has been covering events there this week for the Irish Times, and he joined me by phone to run through the main issues on the agenda. I began by asking how this year's event compared with pre-pandemic times. Yeah, I suppose, um, first off, you know, even the setting, the scene is, is very different. Traditionally, you know, last times I was here, um, during this time of year, it was heavy kind of snowfall, both in the town and also on the mountains surrounding the, the town. This year, snow is very, very light in the town. And even looking at the hills themselves, it's a pretty light kind of covering of snow. So if you want a reminder of global warning, warming, uh, Davos is the place to come. And certainly... Um, Climate action and climate change is, is, is one of the kind of key themes that's been pushed by the, the organisers of the, the World Economic Forum this year. But the general kind of tone here is, is it's kind of maybe even evolved even in the last 24 hours. When we uh, arrived uh, on, on Monday, it was pretty downbeat. Uh, certainly the, the kind of set piece kind of publications uh, heading into Davos were pretty downbeat. You had a PwC report following a survey of over 4,000 uh, CEOs globally, and they were very downbeat about uh, not only their own prospects, not only the, the prospects for the global economy, uh, 73% expected that the uh, global economy would slow further this year, uh, and were also kind of downbeat about their, their, the prospects for their own companies as well. We also had a report by the organisers of the World Economic Forum, where they had canvassed or polled 22 leading economists from around the world, and the two-thirds of those had predicted that there would be a global recession this year. But even in, in, in the last few days, both of those kind of surveys took place late last year. But since then, of course, we've seen China reopening, and, and that's kind of seen as a bit of a game-changer. Um, the IMF usually come out with uh, updated economic forecasts around this time. It's held off because there's a, a lot in flux at the moment. But the signals from the IMF is that they, for a change, actually are looking to potentially upgrade their, their economic forecast for this year. Uh, and that's largely driven by uh, the, the return of, 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 of China, the opening up of China, and also the easing of inflation uh, that we've seen in kind of more recent data from both sides of the Atlantic. Joe, from an Irish perspective, who's there? Yeah, so the main kind of uh, people here are the Taoiseach, uh, Lee Varadkar, who is arriving this evening, and also the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, who arrived yesterday evening. Uh, both of those are going to be kind of hosting a dinner tonight, the kind of traditional kind of set-piece dinner that is uh, organised by the IDA for both uh, current and prospective of clients. The IDA and also the government sees this as a key kind of uh, event to attend in order to kind of court uh, not only uh, big companies that are here to court them when it comes to further uh, foreign direct investment, but also to try and attract new clients as well. And, you know, when you see 2,700 uh, delegates here, uh, companies, 1,500 company executives among that, there's probably no better place to uh, get 
this number of, of uh, business leaders uh, in order to get a face time with them if you're looking to uh, encourage investment in, in, into, into the state. Um, normally, you would have uh, the likes of Bono and uh, Dennis O'Brien as, as kind of a staple, kind of a permanent fixtures really here at, at Davos. They haven't been here the, the last few years. So, yeah, and the IDA, of course, is, is another kind of a big grouping that's here as well. Yeah, now the IDA corporate investment, of course, but uh, also talking this week from Davos about uh, tech losses and interesting that Mary Buckley, who's the interim uh, chief of the IDA, was saying that she expected more tech uh, job losses to come this year. And uh, at around the same time that she was uh, speaking or shortly thereafter, uh, it was being reported that Microsoft globally is planning to shed thousands of jobs. And you have to imagine there'll be a ripple uh, effect on its operation here in Ireland. Yeah, so I was speaking actually, uh, since then, I was speaking to uh, Minister of Finance, uh, Michael McGrath, this morning, and I was just asking him, has the government had any indication as to what kind of Irish job losses could be in store? And he said he had been onto himself, directly onto the IDA, uh, and they don't have any figures themselves, uh, and they're waiting for, for, for more information from, from Microsoft. But it follows on from a number of global tech companies that would have been ramping up their exposure and presence in Ireland in recent years, now, because of issues in terms of, uh, you see, look at share prices of tech companies, the, a lot of tech companies had kind of over, overgrown in, in recent years and overpopulated themselves in terms of employees in recent, recent years, expecting that the boost to technology that was provided by the whole COVID pandemic would be uh, extended, uh, that they're all kind of retrenching. And we've seen a number of, of companies from Meta, which is a, the parent of Facebook and, and Instagram, uh, Stripe, uh, Amazon, uh, Salesforce, all announce retrenchment uh, globally and uh, resulting in hundreds of, of, of job losses here. Again, Mary Buckley, when we spoke to her yesterday, she said she would expect further technology uh, uh, job losses this year, but it falls on from 9% growth uh, last year in terms of tech jobs uh, among clients uh, of the IDA in Ireland to about 116, 200. And they, that again followed on from 8% growth in, in the previous year. She certainly sees that slowing down this year and the pipeline, while it's, it's okay for the first half, uh, is weaker than it was a year ago. And there's a lot of uncertainty over what the pipeline may look like for the second half of this year. Yeah, now Michael McGrath was also talking about his uh, upcoming meeting with Gabriel McClough, who's the Central Bank of Ireland governor. I think this is probably his first meeting with him, his first sit down with him since he became uh, Minister for Finance recently. And uh, he obviously spoke to you about uh, what he described as the concerning issue of how some mortgage holders, about 100,000, uh, we believe, uh, those accounts were sold, those loans were sold uh, by the banks, by the Irish banks to various overseas investment funds. Um, over recent years, and they're now facing with the uh, rising interest rate environment, they're now facing above the odds rates of as much as 7% on, on their loans, because presumably because they can't uh, access uh, fixed rate mortgages. Yeah, so a lot of these 100,000 borrowers that are now basically beholden to the uh, investment funds or so-called vulture funds that uh, acquired loans that were somewhat distressed um, from, from banks or uh, non-performing loans from banks uh, following the crisis. Um, these are borrowers who are typically on standard variable rates, and these are typically borrowers who have low credit ratings, so would not be able to avail of the, uh, the, the, the kind of fixing into kind of lower-cost mortgages that normal uh, customers of, of, of mainstream banks would be able to do at the moment. If you look at Irish rates, the average new Irish mortgage rate 
as of late last year was 2.57, where we were seeing uh, rates, and certainly the minister himself has confirmed that he's aware of rates in the region of 6 to 7% in terms of some of these customers of the so-called vulture funds um, that acquire these loans following the crisis. And they've nowhere really to go. Now, if you look back as well, um, Michael McGrath, when he was in opposition back in 2016, 2016, he had uh, published a variable rate uh, interest bill. And basically, he was looking to give the central bank uh, powers, actually, the central bank didn't even want to be able to regulate uh, and potentially cap uh, standard variable rates if there were kind of if there was dislocation in, in the general market. Interesting, around that time, you had the then governor of the central bank, Patrick Honahan, while well, he resisted the idea of uh, the central bank being given general powers in terms of capping mortgage rates, he did say there was merit, and maybe there should be some consideration around the borrowers uh, that are beholden to these overseas funds, given that they don't really have, uh, a lot of them don't actually have the option of switching elsewhere. If those interest rates were out of kilter with the general market, and certainly the rates of, of 6 to 7%, are very much out of kilter with what's on offer in the market at the moment. Yeah, now politics at play at this conference as well, Joe. We had the we were told that China is past uh, peak COVID after the, the recent policy U-turn that came from the vice premier. And um, the, the first lady, if I can call her that, the first lady of Ukraine uh, said that um, uh, Russia was warning really the rest of Europe that Russia won't stop at her country's uh, border if it, you know, essentially wins the war against uh, Ukraine. So a very political element uh, to this uh, event as well. Yeah, absolutely. Olena Zelensky, the, the first lady of, of Ukraine, it was one of the kind of the, the big addresses from the first day of the of uh, Davos there yesterday. She, she did warn that, that enough isn't been done by other countries. It comes ahead, of course, of a key meeting of defence ministers on Friday in um, Rammstein in, uh, in, in Germany against calls from uh, Ukraine for heavy military to be provided to Ukraine at this time. It also follows on from the UK uh, committing last weekend uh, some 14 uh, so-called Challenger 2 heavy tanks to, to, to Russia. And there's a lot of pressure on, on Germany at this point in time to provide its uh, Leopard uh, 2 tanks to Ukraine. So it, it kind of takes place against that, that context. I mean, she didn't add a huge amount of new insight into uh, Ukraine's thinking. She was using the opportunity to kind of uh, re-highlight the uh, 10-point peace plan uh, that her husband had outlined in November of last year and called for uh, world leaders to kind of uh, really come together and, and, and support Ukraine at this point in time. But she did really, as you say, she did highlight, you know, that uh, if anyone thinks that uh, Russia is going to stop at the borders of, of Ukraine, they can think again if they're not stopped. Joe, on climate change, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the European Commission president, her officials are drafting laws to support green industries uh, in the EU. And this seems to be to try to counter what uh, an initiative that's taken place in, in the United States. So I fear that some investment might seep away. And what else is going on uh, in terms of climate change? What else has been suggested there? Because I know Al Gore has been speaking, hasn't he? Yeah, so Al Gore was one of the, the main kind of speakers yesterday on a panel, um, and actually he was calling for, uh, again, just re referencing the uh, subsidies that um, are part of the, the US initiative. We had the, uh, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act brought in last last August, introducing uh, all kinds of uh, tax breaks and, and subsidies for the uh, climate agenda 
uh, a big big part of that would be uh, subsidies, tax breaks for um, acquiring electric vehicles. Um, and in Europe, on this side, uh, the European Commission sees this as a, a form of protectionism from from the US. And, and van der Leyen's response yesterday is it's really a response to that, uh, trying to uh, improve, increase the. Uh, the, the viability of the uh, green uh, industry in Europe as well and, and kind of match what's happening in the US. And uh, Al Gore certainly said, you know, like, while this is a form of protectionism, he kind of uh, says uh, it should uh, should proceed because he, he thinks that it's a, there should be a kind of race to the top in terms of various countries trying to incentivize the, the green agenda. Yeah, it goes on for a couple more days, Joe. Who's left to speak? Yeah, so this afternoon, so... The conference is very light in terms of G7 leaders. The only one to turn up uh, is Olaf Scholz. Others, such as uh, Joe Biden, who would have been here in the past when he was uh, vice president, uh, the likes of Justin Trudeau, who would have been here in the past as well, Emmanuel Macron, who would have been a regular at this event, uh, have decided to give it a miss. And, and, and also the, the, the UK Prime Minister uh, Sunak is, is also giving it a, a miss this year. They all kind of deal with issues uh, at home and obviously they don't seem to be uh, quaffing champagne and hanging out with uh, other members of the so-called global elite in Davos at a time when their economies are struggling with the uh, cost of living crisis. So Olaf Scholz is kind of left carrying the can. So he's giving an address later on uh, this afternoon, which will be very interesting. Also, we have this afternoon, we have the uh, CEO of Microsoft, who we mentioned earlier, Satya Nadella. Um, given that Microsoft is, 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 is cutting jobs, it'll be interesting to see what he says there. Zelensky himself, President Zelensky himself, is, is due to give a video address uh, this evening. And the uh, Taoiseach, Liev Radker, is also speaking on a panel tomorrow and be speaking to journalists again uh, tomorrow morning as well. All right, Joe Brennan of the Irish Times. Thank you. We'll leave it there. Thank you. We're going to take a short break now. When I return, I'll be talking to Derek Scally in Berlin about a DPC investigation of Meta dating back to 2018. Back in a few moments. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Derek Scally, the Berlin correspondent of the Irish Times, recently reported on how Europe's most senior data regulatory body found that the DPC in Dublin had failed to investigate with due diligence data collection and processing at Meta's subsidiaries Facebook and Instagram. This was part of a DPC investigation dating back to 2018. I began by asking Derek to explain the background to the case and why the European body had taken the stance. The issue uh, began in May 2018, which is when the EU updated its data protection rules. The new rule book is called uh, GDPR. And this, in simple terms, was about increasing um, citizens' rights to privacy, the fundamental right to privacy uh, in the European treaties, trying to update that for the new European or the new world reality of social media, the online world. Uh, and it also wanted to make it clearer for companies, who do they deal with? Because all companies collect data these days. So who who is there, um, who is there who, what regulator do they have to deal with? Because many of these companies, not just the big ones, but uh, most European companies are acting across European borders. So this new rule book from May 2018 is where it all began, because as soon as it came in, two things happened. Number one, um, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, all the 
the um, companies now owned by Meta, and they updated their terms and conditions. And they said, uh, by using our services, you are agreeing to the collection of your data for processing. And um, this is basically, you know, either accept this or you no longer have access to our service. And at the same time, um, the Austrian campaigner Max Schrems, who's been fighting Facebook and other meta companies for years, filed a complaint on behalf of an Austrian citizen and said uh, this this new approach by Facebook actually breaches uh, GDPR, that you have to get an explicit request, you have to specifically request from um, a user, we, we also, we don't want to just let you use the service, we are also going to collect your data. And he was saying that by, by doing this, sort of either accept our terms or go away, they were breaching GDPR. So that complaint was filed in May 2018, and it was filed in Dublin with the Data Protection Commissioner because the DPC is has frontline responsibility under um, GDPR. It's the lead regulator for all companies based in Ireland, including all the big tech companies, including Meta. So the complaint has been with uh, the Data Protection Commissioner, Helen Dixon, since May 2018. And just before Christmas, we heard about movement on this, that a decision was looming. Um, and and then uh, last week and the week before, we started to see those decisions coming in on Facebook and Instagram. And a third uh, complaint about a decision on WhatsApp, the third in the Meta family is looming. And the DPC then in 2021 came out with a draft decision, which we now know that its uh, peers in other parts of Europe weren't uh, very happy with. Tell us about the background to that, Derek. Yeah, it's very, it's a very complicated decision, but essentially it boils down to two things. Um, The Irish regulator uh, proposed fining um, Facebook and Instagram around 59 million in total for not being transparent with users about what it was doing with their data. But it said, um, in terms of whether or not it was entitled to collect this data under so-called contractual basis, it said it doesn't see how that breached European law because it effectively said, if you're signing up for Facebook and Instagram, you know that this is their business model. They collect data. They provide you with a a service without charge. And um, therefore, it was quite clear from the start what was going on. And that second point is where other European regulators raised red flags because the draft decision from Dublin was circulated to all EU and EEA members, that includes Norway, Sweden and other non-EU countries, and several of them filed complaints and they said, clearly, this is a breach of GDPR. So you have the Irish regulator on the one side saying, yes, they should have been more transparent, but all in all, um, the data collection is in in line with EU law. And on the other hand, um, a whole range of countries saying, um, no, we disagree. So what happened then was uh, it, GDPR allows for a new... Um, uh, dispute reckon, uh, re- resolution mechanism. So you have a lead regulator like in Ireland, the DPC, but if they cannot resolve uh, disputes with other national regulators, it moves up one level to uh, the European Data Protection Board. This is a European body with a full-time president and staff. Uh, it has all of the EU and EEA members uh, involved and there's also sort of non-voting observing bodies such as the European Commission. So they analysed all of the observations and and complaints about the Irish decision and they issued their own decision. And this is where it gets interesting. They 
uh, found against the DPC effectively. They said, you were wrong. Your decision is wrong. Um, we don't want you fining them 59 million. We want you fining them an awful lot more because we feel that their data collection policies were in breach of EU law so that Facebook and Instagram and possibly WhatsApp have for the last four and a half years been collecting user data and making lots of money uh, with personalized advertising with no legal basis. So that went back to Dublin. And um, Helen Dixon, the Irish regulator, was obliged to implement these uh, European uh, findings. And the final uh, fine jumped from um, the original proposal was around 59 million euro. The fine jumped to 390 million euro, which is quite a jump. And um, and that's where we stand now. The case isn't quite over because um, Meta is... Um, currently uh, engaged with the DPC on another case involving Instagram, and it's quite likely it might appeal this uh, decision by the DPC. And then there's also the DPC and the European regulator are at odds over a point in the ruling. So that's probably going to end up in the European court in Luxembourg. So on the one hand, after four and a half years, we have a decision um, forced by the European body on the national regulator in, in Ireland, um, but we've got quite a lot of um, of court time probably ahead of us. It's quite embarrassing for the DPC, Derek, isn't it? Well, it depends who you ask. If you ask the DPC, you know, things take time. It has a very specific legislative approach and it says it is acting according to the Irish data protection legislation. And um, it's it said, yes, it has taken time, but these are complex cases. And it is obviously under particular focus because all the big tech companies are in Ireland. And it said, look, we've had decisions last year and we've had decisions this year. So they're slowly coming, slowly but steadily coming down the line. So that's the DPC approach or a take on this. Um, from a European perspective, I've been asking around in Europe and yeah, most of them, nobody really wants to go on the record because they don't want this to be seen as sort of everyone ganging up on Ireland or ganging up on Helen Dixon. But they said when it came to the final vote at the European Data Protection Board, um, nobody sided with Ireland. Three or four people, three or four regulators, countries um, abstained, but everyone else um, was voted against. So sided with the... Um, sided against the DPC, let's put it that way. Now, some of them are more outspoken. Nobody really wants to go on the record with their criticisms, but many of them say, look, the Irish legislation under which the DPC is operating is very complex. It requires endless cycles of consultations with complainant, with the data processors and so on. That really needs to be simplified. Um, and then there's some concerns, obviously, is the DPC a little too close to these big companies. Um, there seems to be sort of a philosophical dispute over is a regulator there to act as a referee between the complainant and the processor or are they there to regulate the processors? Um, and that seems to be an issue of dispute around Europe. But all in all, it's just consistently um, the... The approach seems to be the DPC has a different opinion on European data protection law to most of its European colleagues. And we're now starting to see with these decisions just and these counter decisions by the European body, um, just the the yeah, the level of dispute, the, the, the yawning gap between Ireland and the rest of Europe on this issue. A lot of our listeners might wonder, Derek, why it is that the DPC has been left to handle all of these uh, massive cases against uh, big multinational giants such as Meta. We know it's because, you know, they have their European uh, bases here. But has the time not come perhaps for some 
overarching European body, maybe based in Dublin, maybe based elsewhere, but resourced and staffed by the entire uh, European Union, uh, rather than simply relying on a body that's based in Dublin and and essentially, uh, you know, an agent of the state? Um, Well, the DPC would say it's independent of the state. Ultimately, it reports to the Department of Justice, but it was set up as an independent body on a clear legislative basis, but it it is its own boss. but there are already discussions um, long before this. I mean, this case has been running for four and a half years, but you know, we've been over and back to, uh, to the European Court in Brussels, or in Luxembourg, excuse me, a few times. And this is the general sense of, yeah, it just takes very long and then the decision has to be corrected and so on. So uh, some national regulators, but also the European Data Protection Board, they have started a discussion um, with the European Commission um, uh, I know the uh, European Ombudsman, Emily O'Reilly, is involved there as well. And they're all talking about there are these big strategic companies, these big strategic you know, transnational companies operating across European borders. Should we not take, a, take the approach of banking uh, and, and lift them away from national regulators? You remember one of the consequences of the banking crisis was um, that uh, two big-to-fail banks are now regulated from Frankfurt, um, uh, from the European Central Bank and no longer from national regulators because they are too important for one regulator to have all responsibility. From what I can tell, the enthusiasm for this sort of European approach for certain strategic cases isn't huge and they would like to see things remaining as they are. And the DPC insists, you know, it is it is top of its class when it comes to delivering um, and that other countries don't necessarily have a grasp of the complexities of European law in these big tech cases. And it is it has this experience. So there's a huge difference of opinion there. But last year in Vienna, there was a meeting of European um, data protection regulators, and that really is on the agenda. And that's part of the discussion they're having with the European Commission. Yeah, we should say the DPC does make the point fairly uh, that it's independent of the state, but nonetheless, it's resourced by the state, isn't it? It's given a, it's effectively allocated uh, a budget by the state, and the state has been given more resources in the budget um, over the past few years. Yes, it's been a long. I mean, I've been covering this for many years, and there was a time when. You know, the first time I visited the DPC in Dublin, it actually wasn't in Dublin, it was in uh, Port Arlington, based over a Centra convenience store. And uh, I wrote about it, and most people around Europe are fascinated that Ireland, on the one hand, attracted all of these regu- these big tech firms, but the regulator itself was outsourced to Port Arlington. Um, Helen Dixon has changed things. She has brought her office into Dublin. Um, and she has secured, lobbied and secured greater funding. I think she has said herself she would like even more. Um, but the question at this stage, I think, has moved on from resources. Many people around Europe are saying, is it lack of resources or is it a lack of will um, that consistently results in sort of long-running investigations that end up being at odds with what everyone else in Europe seems to think? And is there a need for us almost like a... a, 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 a a mental shift or a philosophical shift. I mean, the the, the department or the uh, justice committee of the Dáil had a, had hearings on this, and they made recommendations that um, the DPC should be expanded. There should be, if I re- remember correctly, it should be three commissioners, not just one, and some new commissioners should be appointed who actually have a legal background. A consistent argument here around Europe is that the DPC just takes legal approaches on things that 
nobody else can sort of fathom why are they taking this approach? Why are they going to Luxembourg on that issue? It's quite clear the DPC will argue we need legal clarity, but there's a sort of a consistent message I get from elsewhere that the DPC needs more legal firepower. Um, they will probably disagree with that, but that's what I hear. So we've moved from a resources question, I think, to a more uh, sort of, a, it is a deep philosophical issue. What is the Irish data protection regulator there for? Is it there to regulate um, companies and entities that collect data? Or is it there to act as a referee between somebody who complains and a company that's collecting the data? The DPC sees itself as the latter. The rest of Europe seems to see its data protection regulators as the former. They're there to regulate. Um, uh, Helen Dixon, in an interview with the New York Times, said she sees herself as a broker. Uh, many people around Europe are fascinated by that approach. It's just because they say that isn't really in keeping with the spirit of GDPR. I should say, I mean, anyone who collects data, and it's not just Facebook and it's not just Instagram, you know, they have a legitimate business interest to do, to do so, and they are entitled to do that. But it comes up against this Irish or this European um European fundamental right to privacy. So some regulators are rather philosophical about this. They've said, look, the laws on the GDPR is almost five years old. It takes time for these things to settle in. Uh, we're moving towards a new European regulatory basis for this. We have to reconcile different legal traditions, the different um, different um, philosophical approaches to privacy you know, based on cultural, historical um, elements. So it's it's taking time, but you know, competition authority, the European competition law is very tough. But it, they say, look, it took time for that to bed in as well. So we're moving towards that. The, the issue is just: does everyone in Europe, including um, the DPC in Dublin, do they accept that? Yes, uh, in cases like Facebook and Meta uh, and and Instagram, uh, that Helen Dixon and the DPC are have frontline responsibility that's that's true but does the dpc also accept that uh, its european colleagues as we've seen in these most recent cases they can also have a very important um last word and they can impose um their will on the dpc if they feel the dpc is not acting in in line with european law or not making findings in line with european law so I think everyone needs to shift a little bit and realize that um, we don't live in a black and white world, that yes, citizens have a right to privacy, companies also have a right to make money using data if that's their business model, but it has to be brought into line with European law and everyone has to accept that. And Derek, what happens to the money that's actually uh, levied against companies in fines? So the fine has gone, as you said, from 59 million to 390 million euro. Is that money that's ultimately going to come into the Irish Exchequer? Does it go into the coffers of the DPC? Does it get spread around Europe, depending on, on Meta's uh, you know, market share around Europe? Where does it go? It's an interesting question. Um, I, As far as I can tell, and I've asked a few people, and I could be wrong, but as far as I can tell so far, at least, that money would go to the Irish state. So um, sort of some of the loudest critics of the DPC have said it's somewhat ironic that the regulator they accuse of dragging their feet on this, you know, the longer it goes on, perhaps the larger the fines could become, and that money will then go ultimately to the Irish state. Uh, and there's also a question of did the DPC in Dublin fine uh, impose a fine on Facebook and Instagram as high as it could have? Um, because the European body, uh, when it issued its decision, which had a knock-on effect on the Irish decision, it said it it wanted the DPC in Dublin to look at you know what was the financial gain for Facebook and Instagram from infringing EU law, and um, 
so you know it's been this they've been breaking the law for four and a half years according to this decision and every day they're making money collecting data selling advertising user uh um customized advertising so that's a lot of money we're talking billions and the dpc in dublin in its in its decision said that the european board didn't tell it on what in what way it wanted the dpc to assess um the infringement the the benefits the financial benefits of infringement so it didn't do that so um max trems the austrian campaigner whose um lobby group uh, filed this complaint he said basically the dpc has getting allowed uh, facebook and and um facebook and instagram to get off lightly that they could really have been fined a lot more based on on their profits in the last years and billions he's talking about so we've no real way of knowing i'm not sure if that battle is over but the money the fines that are are um uh, issued once they're finally collected and as i said at the start we still probably have quite a few legal battles before them but ultimately I, it seems that they would go to the irish the Irish exchequer. Well, happy days, I suppose, if it does. Uh, some, some good will come out of all of this. Uh, Derek Scali from Berlin, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Joe Brennan and Derek Scali. The show was produced by Aideen Finnegan with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.